Ubuntu, as best summarized by historian Michael Onyebuchi Eze, refers to how a person is a person through other people. He mentions how this speaks of an affirmation of one's humanity through the recognition of another's. This idealism suggests that my humanity is not embedded in my person solely as an individual, but it is given to both me and my other. Humanity is a quality that we owe to each other. We create each other and sustain these creations. And if we belong to each other, we participate in those creations. We are because you are, and since you are, I definitely am. Although the use of the term can be traced back to the 19th century, many have asked that the term be reassessed and even redefined due to its misuse and sometimes abuse. Some have argued that Africans practiced Ubuntu when the settlers first reached our shores and that it is what got us colonized. They welcomed them in as brothers and got backstabbed as they were assumed to be naive and gullible. Ubuntu is often suggested, along with Nelson Mandela's legacy of peace, as a solution to a more peaceful nation in opposition to rioting or airing of grievances. Some have said that domestic workers and other low-wage earners take abuse and exploitation for as long as they do because they apply the Ubuntu philosophy and believe in people's supposedly inherent good intentions until they uncover that the system they are in will never take care of them, but by then have no legal paperwork, no education, no savings or no family support to allow them to move to better conditions. So what still looks like good behavior towards exploitative industries becomes more a manifestation of being trapped and desperate. So is it safe to say that Ubuntu has become a form of silencing by using someone's principles against them? Is Ubuntu expected of some and not of others? And is that being taken advantage of by some? How much of our low-wage industries use this as a way to extend the duration of abusive practices? To explore this philosophy with us is 24-year-old Simpiwe Mlambo. She's a BTEC architecture student at UJ, and she's very passionate about the topic. She's one of the co-founders of the architecture firm iOrigin that works to explore new age articulations of African architecture. She's also a member of the collective, the creative collective called The Embassy that curates the creative exchange of ideas and views. And her current design project, the Ubuntu Center, is located at Constitution Hill while challenging it. I'll let her explain why in her own words. Welcome, Simpiwe. So good to have you. Hi. Nice to be here. <laughs> so um, we are very interested in this topic on the maid sessions, um, particularly because of what it means to our low-wage industry, the domestic worker sector mm-hmm. that we've taken a keen interest in. But let's start with your interest in it. Why did you name your center the Ubuntu Center? When I was given the design brief, it came from a perspective where they wanted us to explore our context and understand the different dynamics involved. And my context was Healborough and Constitutional Hill. And in sort of understanding the two, it always baffled me that you call yourself a space of constitutional rights and fundamental implementations of in essence, the Ubuntu principle, but your environment is not really a space where you see the um, application of these principles. So for me, it was about forcing or challenging the, the, the fundamental rights stipulated within the constitution firstly, and the fact that a right has responsibilities implied and we are all very good at 
demanding our rights, but we don't really apply the responsibility that comes with a right. So with having said that, then I started coming to the conclusion of if we were to practice Ubuntu as a real concept and not necessarily just as a theoretical principle, we would begin to then look at each other in an environment. And the success of another does not mean the failure of one. And that's sort of the kind of society we live in is that I cannot succeed unless someone fails. If I have to succeed, I need to be, it need be on the backs of others. So my sort of project or the theme of my project was understanding an architecture or a spatial definition that does not work on the back of another person in order for someone else to thrive. So it's about understanding that, yes, you need, for example, a domestic worker in a space, but her deprivation in a space does not necessarily need to make you successful. In her being deprived, you need to be deprived in some way, shape or form. Why Constitution Hill for what it is at the moment? Because you, you speak of the practice of Ubuntu. Yeah. In which ways can it be practiced that it is currently not being practiced? The, the concept of why they decided to put the Constitutional Hill there was because they stated that it was based on the cultural concept of a tree, the, the courthouse of African culture and the fact that no matter who you are, as long as you are within that community or society, you have full access to laws and and sort of fundamental rights of that society. And I think in the way that they've articulated themselves spatially, they've monumentalized themselves and make themselves icons in a space and caused fear as a response because mm-hmm. Conhill has no fences, let's just be clear. There isn't one fence stopping you from accessing Conhill. But if you look at it right now, I can assure you it's empty. And you ask yourself why. There's no type of interaction with the surroundings. There's no growth. There's no opportunity. There's no reason for people to be there. But you're being fooled into thinking it's your space. So do you feel like there's a lot of things that appear to be one thing but are something completely different in society? Definitely. Because I wonder then, um, in which ways is Ubuntuness mm-hmm. being being um, inhibited in everyday relationships? And again, like I think, for instance, about the domestic worker sector and mm-hmm. how a lot of the times we'll we'll get told, you know, at least we're providing work mm. for those that might otherwise not get work. But does that open the room for abuse or exploitation? Because at least you gave someone work. So in what ways do we do we sort of justify bad behavior? Because, you know, we, we say, oh, this looks like something else. You know, it's sort of similar to like yeah. Con Hill. At least we gave you Con Hill. <laughs> like at least we gave you a monument. So, so yeah. we should be happy. Yeah. I think, see, hmm. That thing also bothers me of saying, (laughs) at least I gave you work. You don't say that to an accountant. Why are certain privileges not yours? Because your job is not seen as something useful. It's Mm. seen as something no one else wants to do. Yeah. And I don't think that's a fair way to view someone who is in a professional industry. At which point is, is Ubuntu used as something that puts you in your place? And very quickly, actually, do you think that the design of Constitution Hill was a way to use Ubuntu to put people in their place to some extent? Or or let let me rather say monuments. Mm -hmm. So things like the Apartheid Museum Mm -hmm. 
and that and Robin Island and all those yes. kinds of things that have become monumentalized. Mm-hmm. And in some ways, some have said, you know, so now because those museums are there now, we must forget about it. Exactly. So, so do you think that those were to some extent a way of using really good, rich principles mm-hmm. to also say, see there, we've done something, get over it. Yes. Um, especially in like these big sort of apartheid monuments, it's sort of kind of a way of saying, well, we've given you a space to acknowledge, what more do you want? And because of the Ubuntu principle, it's, no, but if another suffers, you're suffering. So you can't inflict that, but it's only a specific culture that believes this. So you've trapped me in my belief system and you haven't allowed me to be infuriated by your behavior. Because I'm supposed to be calm and sensible and care about my environment and understand the other person before I understand myself. However, your principles don't necessarily preach the same gospel. I'm just very quickly looking for a statement that was written in the Constitution that says, um, There is a need for understanding, but not for vengeance, a need for reparation, but not for retaliation, a need for Ubuntu, but not for victimization. That's written in our constitution. (laughs) What are your thoughts on that? I feel like that was a very nice way to run away from the truth of the fact that people needed answers and you didn't give them. People needed, they didn't need you to say sorry because sorry doesn't cut it at a point where you've infringed on so many human rights, basic ones, the ones that apparently the constitution amends, which they do not, but the people who infringed on them are not being called upon it because Ubuntu and not victimization. So you can't victimize the oppressor. But the oppressor was never told, you victimized people. And what is your, not, not your sorry, but what is, what is the ramification of what you did? How conscious do you think using that is for those that use it against others? And also the Nelson Mandela, yeah. he, uh, he demanded peace or he practiced peace. How, how conscious do you think? And, and I asked the conscious level in relation to how manipulative it is how conscious Mm. are they of how manipulative it is i don't think they're conscious fully conscious of how manipulative it is because maybe in principle in the beginning because everything in principle is beautiful religion in principle is beautiful everything but it's the application of their principle that loses the point of why it was written so i don't blame the wording i blame the application because fair enough you go there shouldn't be vengeance because nothing good comes from being vengeful, right? Because an eye for an eye leaves the whole world blind. <laughs> but what if the human was already blind in that instance? They were blind to their actions because they did them in full knowledge of what they were doing. Then you come and say, no, when a person that's been oppressed, just relax, breathe. We're, we, we'll sort it out by writing a couple of things down and making them say sorry. And then everybody's going to be good. But that morning after voting, that same domestic worker had to go and work for that same lady Mm. in the same position, having changed nothing, not Mm. her income, not her standpoint, not her value in society. There was no real conscious engagement with the everyday struggle of the person you've apparently freed. My, My boss said something so interesting about vengeance and an eye for an eye. And she said, an eye for an eye basically gives 
a limit to how long frustration or mm-hmm. anger or, or you know retaliation can take place right mm-hmm. like you take as much or you harm as much as, as you, you have been harmed. been harmed yeah so there's a limit to your frustration yeah um and i think that's a very interesting way to look at it that vengeance is not necessarily all bad mm-hmm. when there is a limit to it and there's a fair limit to it mm-hmm. so do you feel like there should be some avenue of um of evening out the playing field, <laughs> the playing field. Yeah. that you know things like ubuntu good principles etc cetera, etc cetera, should just be put aside at a certain period of time so that things like anger frustration resentment annoyance all those things yeah. have the room to exist outside mm-hmm. of of people um and then to get back to those kinds of principles which are things that are inherent yeah um i think there definitely should be room for a level of or an outlet for your frustration because we're sort of seeing <laughs> the consequence of not letting things out mm. right now with fismas full protests maragana these are these they're consequences of the fact that people are angry and their anger was never addressed. It was told, or you were suppressed. You were just told, suppress your anger. Because your anger is doing more harm than good. So I think that's where we need to come from. And come from a point where the anger isn't dumbed down to something trivial. But what I also feel is that there's a lot of pressure to... Like you're only allowed to be angry if you can be articulate about that anger, mm. you know, as if your your anger must be rational or else you're not allowed to be angry. And I think like a lot of the fees must fall students sometimes have not been making sense, <laughs> <laughs> but the anger has been valid. Yeah. And, and you know, when, when you hold so much in and this, we can even see, you know, just as like an individual human being, when you hold mm. so much in, sometimes it gets to a stage where we say you burst, right? Yeah. And you make no sense. You're just angry or mm. it makes no sense to that situation why you are that angry. But but couldn't it be, you know, when people hold in anger, it's not, it's normally because you feel like the person you're talking to doesn't care. So you kind of hold it in because you're like, what's the point? But it's not that it goes away. But it's not that it goes away. So you just, you hold it in, you hold it in. And by the time you burst, it's it's that stupid example of someone makes you angry the whole day. And then one person steals your pencil. <laughs> exactly. <laughs> right? Yeah. And then you lose your mind. Yeah. Completely. But then what will make you sound crazy is if someone asks you why you're angry and you say someone stole my pencil, pencil. you sound crazy. But it's not about the pencil. But it's not about the pencil. But I think a lot of our conversations have been about the The pencil. pencil. (laughs) There was something someone said to me once is that black people are taught to behave. It's inherent. You need to behave. If you see someone old in the street doing something wrong, you can't reprimand. You behave and you don't understand because you're a child. And if that is the mentality I've carried with me since I was a kid, it doesn't matter that I'm a 31-year-old or 24 or 40. If that person is older than me, I need to behave. So this historian, Michael Eze, he he spoke of how we create each other, mm-hmm. right? That this principle of Ubuntu implies that we create each other mm-hmm. and we sustain those creations. He speaks of how 
an affirmation of one's humanity mm-hmm. um, is through recognizing someone else's. Mm-hmm. So how is it, in your opinion, that when you offer humanity to someone else, that they don't necessarily offer it back? I think we mm. we have a confusion of, especially when it comes between income brackets or class rankings, the minute someone is of a lower class than you, and it's a very derogatory term, but for the sake of the conversation, you you assume everything you do comes from a standpoint of being humane, when it's not. It doesn't mean because you gave someone a job, you are humane. It, it's not. That person needed to do that thing. Humanity cannot be calculated. Mm. There's, there's no commodity to humanity. There isn't. If you give this much, that means you, you're humane. So is it that our measure of humanity is different for different people? Yeah. And different cultures and different age brackets. And I that just makes so. things complicated. <laughs> I think so, because that's the thing. It, I, don't, I don't believe anything that has to do with a human or a living, <laughs> or a living organism is black and white. There isn't this is this and this is that. We are multifaceted naturally. Superior today is not superior tomorrow. She wasn't the same yesterday. So how can I keep applying the same theories to her? Do you know what I mean? So what is a measure of goodness? Is it intent? Because you'll have a lot of racists saying, I didn't mean to offend you. <laughs> but they'll say overtly racist things. You know what I mean? So, So what is the... Measure because the, we do have an understanding that you know everyone's um, everyone's values are rooted in different things mm-hmm. and their perceptions of life are are so strongly affected by you know their upbringing their culture their tradition their education all those kinds of things so at which point do we measure that someone is using Ubuntu against you or they generally just don't see it as a value. Eat or be eaten. (laughs) Some live that way. Yeah. And believe that when you do something for the sake of surviving, it's got nothing to do with morality. Mm. But how do you separate yourself from your morals? If if you were on the Easter Islands and... It became a cannibal because <laughs> there was no food. No, he started to eat himself, and I'm and I'm I'm being facetious now. <laughs> but where your because you know there's there's um there's nothing quite like the force of being physically hungry. Yeah, physically hungry. Your body is is hungry. starving. Your blood system is affected. Your mind is driving you crazy. You, there's little oxygen in your body. But we can't mm. keep using the mass majority of things as an excuse for things that we do. That's, mm. the, that's the point of being Ubuntu or no Ubuntu, is to not look at society and go, well, I guess because everyone's doing it. You need to be... Hence I'm saying it's very difficult to have a gauge of you're a good person because you did one, two, three. So what do you hope to to explore about the human condition through the Ubuntu Center? I hope to explore, I guess, what it means to be an, a human. Like, what does it mean when you care? Hmm. What does it truly mean when you care? Not care because you have something to gain. Or not care because you have something to lose. 
care outside of yourself. You know what I mean? Mm-hmm. If if you were to gain absolutely nothing, what is the true sense of caring? You don't gain publicity, you don't gain more money, you don't you just care. What is what is caring? What is what is that point? And how far is the human willing to push themselves in that state? Because it's a very difficult state to get into where you give, you give, you give, but you never take. And that's kind of where I want to see or explore that type of boundary is do you stop when you feel exploited and what happens at that point of exploitation and what is the consequence of that? So it's not about finding a solution, but it's about truly understanding what it means to have Ubuntu in its purest sense. Is Ubuntu Ubuntu only when it is reciprocated? Or can Ubuntu just be one-sided? No, I think it has to be reciprocated at some point, right? I don't know. <laughs> I don't know. Because what I wonder is, because I'd, I'd, I'm not sure if we can be without expectations. No. Or maybe I'm just like not enlightened <laughs> enough and I haven't experienced that. But I wonder if we knew that if we did goodness out of the bottom of our hearts, mm-hmm that we wouldn't be exploited back, would we do more good? You know, because like we're, we're, we're constantly got, Oh, I know I'm guarded mm. because I feel like when I have given your, they have thought floodgates, oh, <laughs> let me take and yes. take and take and take. And if I knew that that wasn't going to happen, it's not necessarily that they have to give back. If they can't, they can't. Mm-hmm. Um, so that's not really the point. But if I knew I wasn't going to get exploited, I think I would do it a lot more mm-hmm. without even thinking. Mm-hmm. So if if I were to expect that Ubuntu would be given back to me if I practiced it, mm-hmm. I'm pretty sure, I think, that I would I would do it. So do you think that maybe there's a mechanism there in like, you know, in understanding Ubuntu as something that, that is only Ubuntu when it is reciprocated mm-hmm. that would maybe make it happen more. If people knew if I practice Ubuntu, I will get it back. Do you think yeah. that that could be something that maybe makes it, makes it a viable possibility? <laughs> you know, <laughs> I will not get exploited because by virtue of what Ubuntu means, mm-hmm. if I give it to you, you cannot give me anything other than Ubuntu back. I don't know if people are going to give it back. <laughs> like oh this is a giving person <laughs> and maybe give her back i don't i don't i don't know i I can't say or even guarantee or honestly speaking from my own standpoint i don't expect to get it back i think what i cling on to is in me giving you will give to someone else it might not necessarily be me but someone at the end of the day will get the ubuntu exchange you're a lot more hopeful than I am. I think so. I'm 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 a little bit of an optimist. I'm a lot pettier than that. Really? Yeah, a lot. <laughs> <laughs> but I mean it's a it's a very idealistic provocation. Yeah. That, you know, care at its mm. purest form. And firstly, how do you think that it can play itself out in space and or spatially? Mm-hmm. And what are the mechanisms that you think are fundamental to making that possibility real? The the one that I sort of kind of exploring in my project is security. 
you you tend to think someone cares if they keep you safe, right? And we have this illusion in public space that security in public space is there to keep you safe. So if you think of the security guards at Con Hill, for example, they're there and they're there to keep you safe. But Con Hill, in terms of the environment, is one of the highest mugging rates. Mm-hmm. Who are you there to keep safe? Con Hill or Con Hill's people? So there's a very... Oh, so they're there to keep Con Hill safe, safe from, from you. you. But the illusion you're given is that they're there to, even when they chase you away. <laughs> I promise you, we were told that. Have you been they, chased? <laughs> I promise they, the security guard came and she was like, if you are not here for the tour, please leave. And we were like, oh, oh, okay. That, why? No, no. There are important people coming today. All right. But I think that for me is quite interesting is that even when you think about a park and the fencing, right? The fencing is big enough to the average human could get through. But the objects in the park are completely safe in a park. But the human inhabitants of that park aren't safe. So there's a very, there's a thin line between who you're protecting in a space. And it's very easy to blur that line to suit you at particular points in time. They're even talking about the entryway to civic buildings that that front edge with like a lot of steps and you can get up and it was about no there's a public platform for everyone to sit and you can you get chased away every day so for me i think it's the, the sense of security and who's looking after who for real that's the one way especially i think that could really truly be explored is how do you create a space that is as safe for a homeless person it even just makes me think about the CCTV cameras in people's homes mm. Like is it to protect the family Or is it to watch the domestic worker 90% What is security it, for What is it for Is mm. it truly for the protection of A person or is it protecting Belongings or is it protecting ideals or, And when do you truly Find out the point or the purpose Of securities Is to me very interesting Spatially false sense of security Is I think to me spatially the most Dangerous thing because that's how people get into trouble. So how do we navigate this big, this big philosophy? <laughs> that's big. I mean, to some extent, has become quite a mess in the country's like <laughs> pursuit for something meaningful post democracy. Like, where do we start with something like that? We need to understand each other's humanity or standpoint or cultural differences and not understand from a place of reprimanding or wanting to find flaws just pure understanding not solution-based understanding just understand if i understood the perspective of a white male in the country versus my perspective i think it would be easier to find common ground is also not nice but (laughs) what do you think limits that understanding Ego, for me, I think, especially in a democratic society, we're very nationalistic in within our own brackets. So we're very egotistical about who we are. It's like, I'm proud, to, but in your pride, have you ever introspected and gone, hmm, but what if I were to associate with a different culture? Where would I have to then filter? We're all just too proud. We're hmm. too proud of being whoever we are. Which is great, but when does pride become your hindrance? So you find, so you, do you find ego 
the enemy of Ubuntu. Yes, definitely. I think it's the biggest ego or the biggest enemy of Ubuntu. Because how? (laughs) How do you practice Ubuntu if you have an ego? And do you think we confuse pride for arrogance? It's, I think it, it becomes arrogance when, again, it hinders the progress of someone else or even yourself. Mm. If you don't grow, your pride is an issue and you need to address it. Because how do you become a people by other people if you never interact with other people? You know what I mean? You can sit in your room and be like, yeah, I know me, proud black female. My life is amazing. White girl comes in, tries to tell you something. And you go, huh? Huh? <laughs> Girl, please. You, you don't. Un- but you didn't hear. Or you heard her, but you didn't listen because you were too proud. Because you assumed something wrong was going to be said. And then your ego kicked in and said, I have to defend my culture. At the same time, is it understandable? Because, yes. you know, in, in a country where at a st- certain stage you were told... This is the most celebrated culture. Mm -hmm. This culture is nonsense and uneducated and made of stupid people, made of thugs or, you know, (laughs) Um, is, is the overexertion of pride somewhat warranted? And if so, should it have a time limit? Definitely think it's warranted. And mostly because it's, it's a, it's a global issue about a certain the Western culture being seen as civilized in comparison to everyone else. And everyone that isn't Western is third world. Even that's why when, when you get your thing back, you're going to be like, yay, it's mine. (laughs) You know what I mean? You're gonna be very assertive about your pride. So I I do understand where it's coming from because it's very difficult when you're constantly being told you're not enough to just go, okay. Mm. Let's hear your standpoint, Mr. You're Enough, all of a sudden. So I, 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 I really do understand that perspective. But I don't know when the limit comes. I don't know whether the limit comes within yourself, where you start realizing that maybe I kind of don't need the affirmation of the one that thinks I'm better or that thinks they're better. <laughs> maybe I don't need Europe to tell me I'm a first world country. And then you start building yourself. You don't build yourself to prove a point to the one that said you weren't good enough. So maybe if we were to come to that kind of, even Africa as a continent, if we were to come to that thing where we stop trying to be Europe, <laughs> like we don't know who we are because it was stripped from us. When, when do we get to that point where we start going, okay, guys, who are we? I mean, I do definitely think that the dilemma is not necessarily that we're unaware mm. of our magic and greatness mm-hmm. and talents and, you know, just immense value. I think where the difficulty could lie as well is being in environments that constantly need you to be Western in mm. order to, you know, get promoted or, you know what I mean? Like you have to be that girl with a weave right. for them to take you seriously as a potential partner in a firm. But when you're also confronted with a country where more than half of the citizens are living below the poverty line and there isn't necessarily the luxury of starting your own firm Mm -hmm. or, you know what I mean? Mm -hmm. So you have to get, so so you get into those systems 
where you can either not pander to those things and you stay, you know, getting paid a lower wage or a lot less than you deserve. Mm. You won't get, you know, you won't get promoted because, you know, you have an Afro, <laughs> like I've been told this. <laughs> um Personally, yeah, like you won't get promoted because you look a certain way, yeah. you talk a certain way, or whatever it is, and you know, like you you understand the implications of that to your immediate family because you may be the breadwinner, yeah. And so you think, well, okay, fine. If I wear a weave, like Maybe. you know, fine, it'll get me to those positions where at least I can be a better breadwinner. Mm. And so you're you're stuck in this. You know, in this uncomfortable position where it's not necessarily that you don't believe in your own value and your beauty and your mm. magic, but it's that you, you also know that doing that will sometimes be the only things, the thing that opens doors. And yeah. so, you know, it, it's, it's an uncomfortable, it's, it's a very uncomfortable position where, where from the outside it might, be seen as oh well she has no confidence look at her <laughs> pandering to the man or right. whatever they say but, but it's not necessarily the case and i mean i know for myself <laughs> i was extremely critical <laughs> of of everyone that would would do something like that you yeah. know everyone that would you know, wear the weave for the sake of getting... Literally the person sitting right opposite you. <laughs> exactly. Hello. Because I'd be like, oh, hey, hold up. Oh, okay, girl. You think you're cute, huh? <laughs> yeah, because if one person does it, they'll expect all, all of us, us to, to do, do it. it. <laughs> you're making it bad for you. You're making it hard on all of us. Like, right? I remember I used to be frustrated yeah. with all people of color that would pander to that mess. Mm -hmm. And, you know, sometimes not realizing the full extent of what determines that decision making. Mm. Um. And I guess it, it sort of goes back again to like, you know, value systems, right? Like I would yeah. judge, I would judge their value or their, their principles when Just it wasn't based necessarily on, based on principles that exactly. they were making those decisions, right? So, mm -hmm. so like when, when my perception of principles and theirs, are, their perception of principles are completely yeah. not the same. Again, like, where's the kind of middle ground <laughs> to engage well, on principles? And especially in, in such a diverse country, yeah. you know? And and sometimes, I like, I think, yeah, I mean, someone might literally mean, like, you talk about Ubuntu, like, where's your Ubuntu? I think sometimes they might genuinely, genuinely mean it. Like, mm. I didn't expect that from you because... You know, from what I know, like, this is your principle. <laughs> so how are you not... this is general consensus yes. about people that look yeah. like this. Yeah, exactly. <laughs> <laughs> so here is me trying to understand you how, better. How it came out of that. Yes. Out of that. <laughs> As someone that is outside of your culture, mm -hmm. this is me trying to understand you. And, you know, they'll get it completely wrong. So so where's where's our middle ground for such a diverse... Very um, outspoken <laughs> and stubborn country. I personally root it back to we don't love ourselves. And I think confusing your appearance with your morals or your values is issue number one. Is this a society that loves itself when it condemns the thing that is a true, the darker you are, the harder it is to associate you with European context? It's even... At home, when they call the dark kid Unyamane, 
all her life. What does that mean? The dark one, oh. right? Or the light one, they'll tell you, you bath with milk. Do you see the difference? Oh, damn. Okay. Oh, damn, right? <laughs> and then the dark-skinned girl goes, oh, okay, guys. <laughs> uh, okay. No, I see you. Yeah. It, there's this... It, I think it's... Ooh, hmm. Like, we don't like ourselves, hey? And we need to be honest. It's a... Uh, it's a hard thing. <laughs> and... Even though it applies to individuals, it also impli- applies to cultures. Mm-hmm. It applies to countries. Yeah. And yeah, I mean, you, you can you can see when a country loves really? themselves. Exactly. You know, like a lot of times you'll say Nigerians love themselves. themselves. <laughs> it's like it's spoken of as a country thing. Mm-hmm. You know, and the Yorubas really love themselves. <laughs> <laughs> then it's a cultural thing, mm-hmm. and you know, the individuals when you meet them, you can just. See and feel the energy that they exude That is full of love for Mm -hmm. themselves They they even want to listen to their own music (laughs) They don't care much for anyone else's music (laughs) That kind of stuff Like they they, they tend to engage with things that references themselves Mm -hmm. And it's really amazing So, you know, yeah, I mean It's it's one of those like higher wisdom things things That are often... Heard so much that that we can sort of underestimate how incredibly valuable that is, mm-hmm. but that is really fundamental self love, mm-hmm. and it also makes me wonder then how much we actually reflect our lack of self love to, to on others. Mm-hmm. Yeah, so sometimes someone's good intention, for instance, by saying, "Oh, uh, where's your practice of Ubuntu?" Mm-hmm. can actually be you know like we can get defensive by saying. Psh, how dare you? <laughs> when, you know, it could really be their good intentions, but we're projecting our insecurities or, mm-hmm. or our, you know, our perception that they are, you know, looking down on us or yes. undermining us or thinking yes. we're gullible or whatever it is. And so, yeah, at the, at, the, at the heart of it, I think it's a really, really good way to just, you know, to encapsulate all of that mm-hmm. is to go back to self-love. It's amazing. <laughs> Thank you so much. Thank Tim you. Pure. This has been the Made Sessions on cliffcentral.com. I'm Talisa Cindy. I'm just a little bit fluey, so it's just been a bit uncomfortable, but luckily I have a very pleasant guest. You're too sweet. <laughs> um, please make sure to follow our Twitter page. That's at made underscore labs. That's M A D E underscore L A B S. As well as our Facebook page, which is made.labs. That's M-A-D-E, full stop, L-A-B-S. Please make sure to join us next week. Thank you so much for tuning in. Bye. Cliff Central. I've got something important to tell you.